Y'all can talk about all these viruses, and that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bruh. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Uhuru. Welcome to the People's War Radio Show. I'm Dr. Matsumela Odom. And I'm Awambi Tongu. Uhuru means freedom in Swahili, and freedom is on our minds 24-7. January 1st has a lot of significance. Most people around the world celebrate New Year's Day as the closing of one year into another. For the African world, New Year's Day has much more significance. On January 1st, 1804, the African Revolutionary General Jean-Jacques Dessalines declared the former French slave colony of Saint-Domingue to be forever free. The nearly 13-year campaign to overthrow slavery and colonialism in the Caribbean island country had been successful. Dessalines declared this new country, IET, an indigenous Taino name for the territory, meaning flower of highland or simply mountainous land. IET is commonly known today as Haiti. IIT is the first workers' revolution. Formerly the most profitable slave colony in the Caribbean, the African Workers' Revolution in IIT disrupted colonial capitalism in the early 19th century and influenced the revolutionary tradition among African and indigenous people that continues until today. However, it is precisely because of that African Workers' Revolution that IIT has been severely punished by European and white North American imperialist powers for 217 years. To discuss this with us today is Elikia Ngoma. Elikia is the Haiti editor for the Burning Spear newspaper, where she provides revolutionary analyses on the struggles in IIT. Her family is from Haiti, she speaks Creole and maintains a close connection to politics in Haiti. She has done extensive research on Haiti and the Haitian Revolution and other cultural and political events coming out of Haiti and the Caribbean. Elikia is known as the revolutionary musician. She just released a new album, Freedom in the Mix. Elikia's recording, Colonial Virus, serves as the intro and the outro music for our very own People's War radio show. Welcome, Elikia. Uhuru. Thank you, Dr. Matsumela and Comrade Mwambi Tangu for inviting me. Uhuru. Uhuru Alikia, this weekend, many people in the African world celebrated January 1st, Haitian Independence Day. As noted, January 1st, 1804 marked the conclusion of the African Revolution in Haiti. In May, you began a Burning Spear article by boldly stating, plain and simple, the first workers' revolution in the world took place on the island of Haiti. Why is it important for us to understand the revolution in Haiti as the first workers' revolution? Uhuru, um, I want to thank you for that question. It's important because it actually helps us understand the question of workers, first and foremost. And as Chairman O'Malley Ishitela of the African People's Socialist Party 
and the theory of African internationalism helps us to understand African people are the workers of the world. And there is no such thing as a working uh, working class in general or workers in general. And a lot of time when people talk about the workers' revolutions, they talk about the revolution of Russia, Vietnam, China, but African people were the first to have a workers' revolution. And the African revolution that we speak of is the revolution of IET, which often gets ignored altogether when you talk about the history of African people because of what it represents to the struggle of African people today. In that same article, Alikia, you talked about Africans as being the essential workers. Can you tell us more about what you meant by that? Oh, yes. Well, this article was written in May 2020, which by then, coronavirus had already become a great issue in the world. And here in the United States, there was a question of essential workers, which they were identifying those who either work in the hospital, nurses, or also those who may work at grocery stores and other businesses that could not be afforded to close down because you need them on a day-to-day analysis, that they were essential workers. And again, to bring back the definition of workers, African people are the essential workers because if we understand that it is workers that provide all of the value that exists in the world and African people are the working class of the world of any type, you know, whether it's picking fruit to the person who's a, who's a, at the cash register at a grocery store or shoe shining, or barbers, or any type of profession you can think of, including the colonial enslavement of African people, we have always been the workers. It's just that we don't work to provide for ourselves. Oh, thanks for that. General Jean-Jacques Dessalines chose a Taino name for the island, IET. In April 1804, Dessalines is also quoted as saying, I have avenged America meaning he avenged the people of America against colonialism. What is the significance of this to the anti-colonial struggle of African and indigenous liberation in Haiti and beyond? Uhuru. Well, I think it represents the solidarity that African people have and should have with other oppressed and colonized people and the type of solidarity that they should also have with African people um, to overturn colonialism. Jean-Jacques Dessalines shows that he was not trying to be opportunist in any kind of fashion. He was also not interested in oppressing anybody. And so at the point that the Africans won the revolution, he renamed the island, the entire island actually, back to IET, which was one of the names that was given to it by the Taino people, IET Keskiya Boyo. And Jean-Jacques Dessalines renamed it to IET, and then also said IET Toma, because IET actually has a last name, Toma, which means this land is mine, but in remembrance of the indigenous people. That is an example of what colonized and oppressed people should be doing right now as we overthrow colonial powers. Uhuru. Uhuru, Lika. I also heard that Haiti played a major role in other anti-colonial struggles. Can you talk about that at all? Uhuru, yes. 
if you look at a lot of the flags in what they call South America or what they call Latin America as well, where you see the colors yellow, blue, and red, and you have the blue on top of the red, that is actually in honor of IET because one of the things that IET did after the revolution was send Africans out around the world, especially in places like Venezuela and other places with the flags that I'm talking about, to help organize the African and indigenous people there for their revolutions. So IET has always been somewhere that represented, you know, what freedom looks like, what solidarity looks like. Uhuru. The popular telling of the African workers' revolution in IET often centers on the heroic figure Toussaint Leouverture. However, your articles have shifted the focus to Jean-Jacques Dessalines. Can you explain why? Uhuru, yes. Well, first of all, you can't mention Toussaint Louverture without mentioning Jean-Jacques Dessalines because Jean-Jacques Dessalines was Toussaint Louverture's right-hand man. He was, you know, like, like you would say, the secretary general. But also because Jean-Jacques Dessalines was 100% poor and working class That's what he would represent in today's understanding of African internationalism. He was 100% non-compromising, non-negotiating, understood that the whole system had to be torn down, had to be burned down, which is why he created the slogan, which means cut heads, burn houses. And he was also the one that told Toussaint Louverture not to meet with the French on the ship, which Toussaint did not listen because he had his own internal class struggles. He at times felt that he would be seen as equal because of his military status. And at the point that he was locked up and taken away to France, he wrote a letter back to Jean-Jacques Dessalines saying, you know what, burn everything. So Dessalines is what African people should be looking to right now as our model, that this entire system has to go down. And it is for a reason that they do not talk about Jean-Jacques Dessalines. It's also for a reason that the few times that they talk about Jean-Jacques Dessalines, they describe him as a genocidal dictator or what other words that they want to use. But we know that he is a revolutionary and 100% who we should be following. Uhuru. Uhuru, look, thanks for that. Because we know that CLR James noted that the thing which plagued Toussaint Louverture wasn't of darkness, but was of enlightenment, was the fact that he did hold to those French values. And that's what actually led to his own demise. Dessalines had none of that. Dessalines came to the revolution directly from the slave plantations. Dessalines was likely born in Africa. Dessalines understood that African liberation will come through the African continent and Africans turning to Africa and not towards Western European enlightenment ideals, something that really plagued Toussaint. So Dessalines declared January 1st Independence Day, but he also declared January 2nd to be Ancestors Day. What's the importance of January 2nd? Uhuru, I want to begin with saying that another slogan of the revolution of IET was Grenadier Alasso, 
Sakimuri Zafayo. The Grenadiers, what they call the soldiers, is um, that's the title of the soldiers to the front, those who die, leave them because they understood that they just had to keep moving forward. It's just like how the African People's Socialist Party today says Vanguard up. You could say Vanguard to the front as well. And he showed that he still remembered all of the fallen warriors, all of the revolutionaries who did not make it through the revolution. And the day after we celebrate independence, we have to celebrate and honor those ancestors and remember them for the fight that they took, for the arms that they took, for the struggle that they took on. And I have never been in IET for a January 2nd, but I do know that it is a very big deal. It is celebrated as big as how people get here for the colonial Thanksgiving holiday and make big food and get with their families. January 2nd is celebrated that largely in IET to remember the ancestors who won the revolution that we celebrate on January 1st. Thanks, because one of the things you talk about in your articles are statues, statues to the Maroons, statues to other soldiers. And one thing that really stands out in Haiti to me about the public remembrance is that all of these statues tend to be in black cast iron with extremely African characteristics on the people who fought the revolution. The national martyrs are understood to be Black and strong African people. What do you think about that? Uhuru, that is a correct observation, with the exception of one statue of Queen Anna Koana, who is actually painted or molded in the red clay kind of color. And she is supposed to represent the indigenous Taino people that were there before. So there is a statue of her honoring her in what is said to have been the exact city that she lived in, her home. But besides that, all of the other statues are exactly, as you said, very African in their features, in their look. The remembrance of the people of the revolution is very strong. And it's also why a lot of the historical monuments in the past year or two, 2018, 2019, and 2020, have been attacked. You have the Catedral de Milo, which is a historical church across from another historical place called the Palais Sanssouci. That has been burned down and attacked. You have the historical Iron Market has been attacked. One of the statues of Jean-Jacques Dessalines has been attacked in Haiti. So there has been a very loud attack on these statues. And these attacks have been coming in response to the African people who are resisting neocolonialism, Jovenel Moïse, and also more recently, as I've mentioned in my articles, that 2018 and 2019 has been a period of Africans taken to the street, condemning the government for the theft of the Petro-Calibé resources that have been absolutely you know, mismanaged and stolen and burned. So you are now seeing attacks on these same historical monuments as a way to combat the resistance of the people. But the memory is still there, and it actually only fuels more resistance when you attack who the people have been taught and grown and learned to love and remember and honor and to say that we are doing this in the name of Dissalin and all of the other historical figures. Uhuru, Uhuru. 
And we also know that Dessalines put forward a very unique and revolutionary constitution. What can you tell us about the constitution that Dessalines put forward? Uhuru, I have an article for the Burning Spear newspaper which talks about the revolutionary and progressive character of Jean-Jacques Dessalines' 1805 Constitution of Haiti. And in his constitution, he completely denounced France and French dominion, which I actually talked about that in contrast to a constitution that Toussaint Louverture developed, which Toussaint never declared IET independent. He declared that IET would be free, but he never claimed independence. And freedom, according to how Toussaint Louverture defined it in his constitution, meant that the French would still oversee IET. But Dessalines completely said that we have no ties. He made everybody swear to have no tie to France, period. He also said that he would not go into the other neighboring islands and the neighboring countries and try to rule them. He said that they will be free to rule themselves and live how they are. We are, again, not interested in oppressing anybody. And there are also some other human characteristics that he gives in the constitutions, such as saying that there is no such thing as an illegitimate child, which is a child that people would consider illegitimate because they're born outside of marriage, that for in order for a man, in his words, a man to be considered a Haitian, he would have to be a good father, a good husband, and a good citizen of the society. So he really just upheld what it meant to be a human and what it meant to be a part of society and what it meant to be a Haitian, which we can say what it meant to be an African person, because all of those are consistent with who African people are. Well, that's pretty profound. That's what, you know, we call in the movement, the genius of the African working class, especially the idea that no child is understood as illegitimate. It really hits at the central contradiction, what some people call the NATO alienation of African people by way of enslavement, in which enslavement and colonialism tried to break us away from our own African mother and therefore enslave us that way. And, you know, so many people have so many different degrees and all this other stuff, have read French and German and all this other stuff, and can't make things as clear as Dessaline did with that. So I'm really happy that you shared that with us. And once again, as you know, in the African tradition, that's what family is. Family isn't simply this blood thing that we see in Western European understandings because family in Western European uh, and in the European capitalist colonial context really is about property rights. It's about the control of land, property, uh, the, the value and the production of other people. So we see Dessalines really with an anti-colonial, anti-capitalist character of the constitution that he put forward. Now, for that reason, we know that it invoked various responses from imperialist powers. What was the response of imperialist powers to the African Revolution in Haiti? Uhuru, the entire white world united for the first time, or maybe the second time, because the first time was when they united to attack Africa. 
So for the second time, the entire white world united to make sure that IET would never actually be able to live as an independent people, which was the goal of the revolution. And so there was an embargo placed on IET. There were restrictions that if IET did not pay France reparations for the loss of their wealth, their resources, and their property, and in their case, the property that they were speaking about was the African people ourselves, IET would not be able to trade with anybody in the world. And if you know that central to the economy of any country is trade, then you can see the type of ultimatum that was placed on IET. And not only that, it took the United States, I think about 60 years before they even recognized the independence of IET. Now, of course, us in the African People's Socialist Party, we say it's not independent for other reasons because we know that the African world is not yet independent. But however, in the context of constitutions and, and having a revolution, the United States did not recognize IET as an independent place for 60 years because they wanted to keep colonial slavery active and alive in IET. So you have France, the US, all of the European countries, which IET actually defeated in the revolution because it did not defeat just France, united that they would make IET pay and suffer. So you've had the changing of the constitutions where Jean-Jacques Desalines said that only Africans can own land in IET. At gunpoint, the United States made it that that constitution was changed so that anybody can own land in IET, so the white people can come in and take up all the land in IET. You had the question, as I said, of the of the the embargoes. You had other tariffs that was placed, like on the rice, forcing the people of IET to not eat the rice that we grow locally, but to take some rice from the U.S. You had the question of killing off the pigs that were indigenous, the black pigs, the indigenous pigs of actually that date back to since the Taino people were there, you know, just everything it could do to affect us economically and the question of food, the question of um, nature, the deforestation of the land, planting all those trees in the Dominican Republic, every type of attack that you could think of till this day exists because of the revolution that took place and what IET represented to the world. And because of what IET represented to the African world in terms of being a beacon of hope, they had to make IET pay for that. But also what IET represented in the struggle against capitalism, because that revolution has been the greatest threat against capitalism. Uhuru. Uhuru. Can you talk about the financial relationship between IET and the colonial world? Uhuru, yes. I can say that the relationship is pure exploitation. And it began with what I talked about with the Africans in IET having to pay France reparations. And that continues today in the people's struggle against the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which has its hands all in the way the economics of IET is run. And I kind of just mentioned Petro Caribe earlier. I want to deepen that just a little bit. And to say, you know, as far as that struggle, that is the most immediate struggle that the people have been going through and are still going through right now, where in 2018, the cost of gas, you know, gasoline skyrocketed in IIT. And in a place like IIT, where you don't really have electricity, 
guys is central to everything. You know, you're talking about even the kind of lamps you're using, you need it to cook. Obviously, you need, you need it for your car and just everything that you you can think of revolves around needing gas. And the cost of gas skyrocketed, which led to the African people taken to the streets to resist. And the reason why the cost went up was because of the IMF instructing the government to raise the prices so high. And then afterwards, it was revealed that the reason why those prices went so high is because the the government had, you could say, lost billions of dollars, which lost really means stolen, billions of dollars that they had, which was to build infrastructure and institutions in IET. And this is what explains the struggle um, about the Petrocaribe resources, which is where Venezuela was selling IET gas at a fraction of the cost. They were selling it at 60% of the total cost, and the remaining 40% was for the government to use to build institutions and infrastructure. Well, that was not done. The money was completely blown. And so one of the things that they were instructed to do was to raise the cost of gas, um, which we know that even if the cost of gas went higher, the resource that would come in still would not go to building anything for the people. So there's a direct attack on the economy of IT by these colonial powers, namely through the tool of the IMF. Uhura. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Elikia Ngoma. Elikia, you come from a family of musicians. In Haiti, your family's name is Angoma, but in the Ahura movement, you are given the surname Ngoma. Can you tell us the significance of the story of how you got the name Elikia Ngoma and how it relates to your own family history? Uhuru, I love that story because I've been trying to figure out how I got the name Angoma, or people here would say Angomar, but Angoma forever since I was young because I realized that a lot of the people from Haiti I knew they had French names, you know, Pierre, Jean, Jacques, Joseph, you know, and any kind of hyphenated combination of those names. And my name was always Angomar. And whenever I had substitute teachers that were from the continent and they would look at my name, they would always like freeze, you know, and I, and I would know that it was my name that they were looking at partly because it was first, it starts with an A, but they would then ask me, you know, where am I from? And my answer was always like a vague, you know, I'm well, my family's from Haiti and they say that's an African name. And I'll say, yeah, you know, Haitians are African. I would say it in a way that's not as certain as I would say it today. And it was at the 2016 cadre intensive of the African People's Socialist Party. There was a naming ceremony for other comrades there. And Luezi Kinshasa, who was the secretary general of the African Socialist International, in his overview said that one of the names that he loves the most is Ngoma because you find it throughout the continent. It's one of the most common names. And as soon as he said it, I said, that's my name. I, I I recognized it. And I went to him afterward and asked him what was the name that he was talking about. And he said, Ngoma. And then I said, well, have you ever looked at my last name, Ngomar? And then we looked up a few things. He found a list of several names that survived 
in the Caribbean, you could say. And Ngoma was one of them. So I just take on the traditional spelling of Ngoma right now. Uhuru. Uhuru. Yeah. Thanks for that. Because it also does not seem a coincidence that your family is a family of musicians and their name was Ngoma. Because we know that all throughout the continent, variation of the word Ngoma is actually a title for people who deal with the combination of healing and music, correct? Uhuru, yes, yes. Throughout the continent, it means the drum, the drummer, song, dance, music, or like you said, a title. People would be called Ngoma as well um, for doing healing through music. And it's interesting because I have musicians on both sides of my family. Obviously, Ngoma is my, you know, my dad's side of the family. Um, and I have some musicians on his side as well. But also on my mother's entire side is actually musicians. So either way I had it, I probably would have still been in Ngoma. Yeah, it's just a wonderful history. And also, it's an example that when we say that African people, Black people everywhere are African, that is not a lie. Because I think, you know, for me to come from IET, my parents to come from IET and still have a name that traces you back to Africa and still carry that same meaning, that's not a coincidence at all. Uhuru, you are the singer of our theme song, Colonial Virus. And I want to tell you, just be completely honest, that it is so popular that I'm happy we snagged it for our theme song first before others did. How did you come up with this song? Uhuru, I came up with this song February or March 2020, where in a meeting with Chairman Omali Shatella, this was at the beginning of coronavirus. He said, you know, everybody's talking about all the death that's coming and all the jobs that are that people are losing because of this virus, but nobody's talking about colonialism in that virus. And as soon as he said it, my head in my head I said colonial virus, just like that. And so after being in a few more meetings with him and hearing him say that, I understood that he wasn't just talking about coronavirus as colonial virus. He was saying you know, colonialism is the virus. So I created that song partly through uh, my own venting and frustration uh, and being tired of it already and wanted to define colonial virus as more than just coronavirus because by the time you get to the bridge, you start to realize that I'm talking about more than coronavirus. When I say COVID-19, that's colonial virus, Ebola. Then I talk about gentrification, mass incarceration, Attacks on Black women. I start listing other things that are colonial virus. You actually just released a new version of it. So let's go on and take a listen. Y'all can talk about all these viruses. And that's good, but you can't forget the main one. It's plaguing us, bruh. Down with the colonial virus. 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 Colonial virus. 
why I can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more.
Yeah, I really, really love that new version of the song. And we know that you are so meticulous that this might be like the 15th or 16th version of the song that you've actually created. So, and, 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 and I think we might actually be coming out with another one pretty soon. So I'm, so, so I'm just going to check my email. All right. So, but you actually taught yourself how to mix music during the COVID-19 quarantine. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, and you're right. There are quite a few versions of this song. Um, I, I started to learn how to, um, what they call beat making in 2019. And in 2020, I said, you know what, I want to take this skill, you know, to completion. So I, in addition to the articles that I'm writing and the other work that I do for the African People's Socialist Party, I set time aside and watched countless of tutorials and worked on, you know, several songs until I could really understand what it means to mix and master a song to bring it to life the way it needs to be because the way a song sounds plays a big role in how people understand and like the song meaning you can have a good concept but if it's not if it doesn't sound exactly the way it needs to sound um, you may not get the it may not get the kind of feedback that it deserves on december 25th you released a new mixtape entitled freedom in the mix if people want to listen to it where can they go they can go on YouTube um, and type in Elikia Ngoma, that's E-L-I-K-Y-A space N-G-O-M-A. It may also say bravery, uh, B-R dot A dot V-E-R-Y. Same thing for SoundCloud and Bandcamp. And just type in either Elikia Ngoma or Freedom in the Mix on one of those three platforms and you will be able to listen to it. What's the meaning of the title? It is. Holds a few meanings. Uh, one of the meanings is that each song actually has a speech in it. So that is the freedom that is included into the mix. Um, another meaning that it has is that when you listen to the entire album, no two songs are the same genre. Uh, so it, there's one that's gospel. There's one that's folklore. There's one that's agabodai. There's kompa. There's soka. And the third Meaning is that even within each song, I am playing with different genres. So that is to say the folklore one has sounds of like uh, Catholic, what they call liturgical music. Um, I'm mixing that up together. Or the soca one has dance hall in it. The Afro beats has soca in it. I just took the freedom to really mix different Black genres together. And of course, putting the words of freedom in them so that any African can hear any one of those songs and find themselves in it. You can pray until you faint, but if you don't get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your lap. And it's no need of running and no need of saying, honey, I'm not going to get in the mess.
is without a doubt a musical expression of African internationalism. One of the forms you use is compa music. What is compa? Compa is currently what you would say the pop music or the most popular music of IET, but it is not the only music that we have there. Um, the genre is 65 years old and it was created in IET by Nemo Jean-Baptiste. And it that genre actually does not get spoken about many when you talk about music in the Caribbean. However, it has influenced almost every genre that exists in the Caribbean today. From compa, you get what is known as zouk, and now um, back on the continent, you are seeing uh, a wave called kizomba that's coming out that is from compa as well. Compa has influenced uh, a music genre that called that's. Compa has influenced a music genre called Kadans, which Kadans is one of the musical influences of soca music. Compa, you know, is really just a, a festive music, a dance music, but oftentimes with political text on it. And that's actually common throughout other genres that you find in IET as well. But in short, to say it is currently the most popular genre in IET, it's how a lot of people identify us when if they do know us in our culture compa is usually what comes to mind um and so i just wanted to bring that you know to the center as you mentioned uh compa also uh zouk kizomba are sweeping through the continent and it's common for um for these musics to be played with other african artists from places like the congo and other french-speaking places on the continent um i remember um you know basically putting together a, a party um, where we were playing uh, compa, and there was artists that were from that were 
that were like Lingala artists as well. And I think it's really dope how, you know, right now Afrobeat has been blowing up around the world and it really highlights artists from around the continent who speak a vast array of languages. But it's really dope because it's still, you know, unity, un- uniting Africans through culture. And it's good to see that happening, you know, as um, African culture is growing and uniting, you know, as African resistance is increasing on the globe as well. Um, on track six of uh, Freedom in the Mix, you state, do not tell me Haiti is poor if you do not tell me why Haiti is poor. Um, can you tell us what you mean by this? Yes. That song, actually, the genre for that song is actually Compa. So that is the Compa song on the album. And the title of that song is Padi Maiti Pov. And it's a part of a longer presentation I was making for the African People's Socialist Party while I was talking about the war of ideas. And so I was given an example of saying how the media puts ideas in people's head, even in the way they report news. And when they talk about Haiti, Haiti, even if they want to say that an earthquake happened and we lost X amount of people, they have to say Haiti, the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, um, has you know had an earthquake, and because they're the poorest country in the Western hemisphere, this many people have died. That's how they would report it. And so I'm saying that don't tell me Haiti is poor if you don't tell me why Haiti is poor. And they're not going to tell you that Haiti is poor because of the embargo that I mentioned earlier. They're not going to tell you that Haiti is poor because of the ban that white power imperialists have have you know, formed to keep IT impoverished. They're not going to tell you that Haiti is poor because they have people in the Haitian government that is working with them to help them steal the resources from IT. Um, because if they do that, then they have to admit that the, the role that they play in it. But they will just tell you that IT is poor as if it's something that just existed out of nowhere. So that's what that, that song is saying. Isi? N'importe a parlé d'Haïti. Mot pour mot, yo dit Haiti, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. Haïti, pays qui pi pauvre. Dans l'Amérique, c'est son legend you can dit to, right? The poorest country in the Americas. Kevin Gomesson. information ça. 
You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Alikia Ngoma. Who are Alikia? Now let's talk briefly about one of your more recent Burning Spear articles. Recently, you reviewed the film Duvan Jukalevé. What is that film about? Uhuru. Duvan Jukalevé is a film that looks at uh, the question of mental health, but through a very specific lens, which is as it arises in IET as a result of the conflict between Vodou and um, Protestantism or Christianity and the identity crisis that takes place in IET. And so the uh, narrator, who was also the film producer, is Jessica Genéis. Um, she is actually looking at that question and uses her own mother and her mother's personal struggle with mental illness as a way to focus it on one person, but is also looking at the society as a whole. In the article, you write about a plethora of things, including voodoo. Known as the median in the revolution in Haiti, voodoo in the Maroon culture holds political importance in Haiti. Can you tell us what is the importance of the African identity and culture to anti-colonial and anti-imperialist struggles in Haiti and throughout the African world? Well, um, in IIT, as you said, voodoo holds a political significance. A lot of people in IIT believe that voodoo is what won the revolution. Um, as African internationalists, we don't necessarily believe it in that way um, because we believe that victory was won because of the Africans themselves um, organizing, uniting, and fighting to win. But we do respect what voodoo is just as a, a cultural uh, thing for IET. And the question of Maon as well, Maon Maonage, which I talked about in one of my articles for the Burning Spear, um, which in IET, the question of Maon was to be, to be hidden, but it was also not hidden out of cowardice. It's just more like strategy, sometimes hidden in plain sight, as in uh, an African could be talking to the French and the answer that the African is saying is not the answer that the African means and that other Africans around them is understanding. You know, that's that's a very Maon um, type of thing. And also, also there were those that literally hid, you know, in the mountains and certain other strategic places to forward the revolution. So um, as far as the question of identity and culture, as an anti-colonial and anti-imperialist struggle. But we know that one of the things of colonial slavery is that they have completely attacked us on every form, not only physically, but the changing of our names, the changing of our traditions, the the changing of our beliefs. All of that is an attack on our identity and who we know ourselves to be. And so to maintain that in and of itself is an anti-colonial struggle, of course, you have to tie it to the broader anti-colonial struggle of revolution itself. And that, again, gets looked at in Duvanjou Kalevé. And one thing I mentioned in that article that a lot of people, if they are not of the culture of IIT, would not 
think to see it this way, because the culture is a culture of Maonage itself, is that it's a bigger question than if someone practices Christianity or voodoo. Um, as I said in the article, there are certain things that are everyday occurrences for African people in IET, including how someone would throw a bottle away after they drink from it, or you know how they use the restroom, or if they're combing their hair and they have to throw the hair that's in the comb away. Very little things that may not hold significance that people do as a result of voodoo, even if they are not aware of why they're doing it. If someone is a Christian or even an atheist, and they start to learn that level of how integrated voodoo is in the culture of IET, that can really cause some internal conflict because it is literally everything you know about yourself, even the little things that you do um, without putting thought to it. You are listening to The People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today is Alikia Ngoma. In the past five decades, multiple crises have caused migrations of African workers from IET throughout the Americas. Thousands of Africans from Haiti live in the U.S.-Mexico borderlands. What does that mean for the unification of the African nation dispersed throughout the Americas? Well, it it means a lot in more than one way. For one, as, as stated earlier, African and other colonized and oppressed people must come together. However, I do want to draw out a difference between when you have Africans who are forced into exile into other countries and exile from Haiti or forced to leave IET to go into other countries. There's a difference in the treatment that Africans from IET get from any other group of refugees, period, because the slander campaign that has been waged against IET for the past 217 years has influenced and affected everybody. And so that is to say, even when you see Africans um, with, from IT in the Bahamas, in the US, um, in other islands, Turks and Caicos, um, as well as, as you said, the US-Mexico borderlands, you have to understand that the, the they are being heavily mistreated because those same people have bought into the same narrative of IET that white people puts out. And so Africans from IET are being disrespected and mistreated um, everywhere we are on on the earth. That's in Brazil, that's in Chile, that's in the Dominican Republic, that's everywhere. So the question is about, you know, someone's when someone says that they unite with the African nation, they have to meet that mean that completely. African people from other places around the world have to unite with Africans in IET and have to show a stance of solidarity with IET. Also, other colonized people, you know, if they say that they unite with Black people and Black power, IET cannot be excluded in the type of Black people that you are uniting with. What do you see for the future of Black power in IET and around the world? What needs to be done to build Black power in IET? Well, the future of IET is tied to the future of African people everywhere. That is what African internationalism teaches us. That's what Chairman Omalia Chitella teaches us. That's what Marcus Garvey was beginning to teach us during his time of African fundamentalism, that it is not a standalone kind of fight. What has to be built in IET is organization, you know, revolutionary organization. Because one thing 
I say a lot in my article is that the question of resistance has never left IET. IET has always been a place of resisting, you know, but we have to be able to move from that and resist very strategically, resist with organization, with purpose. You know, the spirit of um, the revolution, the spirit of disalien, that question, as we said earlier, is very strong in IET. So they understand that wherever oppression exists, you must resist against it. That is very clear. But what, what needs to be one is organization, revolu- revolutionary strategic organization. And, you know, that includes the international African revolution that is being built by the African People's Socialist Party and the African Socialist International. And so with that, there will be victory for IET and victory for Africans everywhere else. You are listening to the People's War Radio Show, produced by WBPU, Black Power 96.3 FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Our guest today was Elika Ngoma. WBPU is a project of the African People's Education and Defense Fund, a nonprofit organization whose mission is to defend the human and civil rights of the African community and address the grave disparities faced by African people in education, healthcare, and economic development. For more information on the African People's Education and Defense Fund, visit apedf.org. Episodes of the People's War Radio Show are available on the Black Power Talks podcast on wubp.podbean.com. For updates and resources to fight the coronavirus or to volunteer with Project Black Ankh, visit developmentforafrica.org. We'd like to thank our guests, Alika and Goma, for joining us today. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. Colonial virus is why I can't live. Can't live. Colonial virus is why I can't breathe. I can't breathe. Colonial virus, yo, that thing gotta go. You gotta go. We don't wanna have to deal with this virus no more. Deal with this virus no more. So we say down with.